Um, as, we come to, as we come to God's word, let us come in prayer. Dearest God, King of kings and Lord of lords, we thank you that you're a speaking God, that you've spoken the world into being and that you speak to us today through your word. We thank you that you're a giving God and you've given us your Holy Spirit so that we might, through it, be drawn close uh, to you. May your spirit be at work in us this morning, Father God, to take a story we probably have known since, since childhood and to make it fresh, to teach us new things, draw us close this day. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, David and Goliath is probably one of the most famous stories in the Bible. And uh, it's, it's, it's actually quite interesting, isn't it, how David and Goliath is still sort of a phrase or an idea, a tale, which sort of exists uh, within our present cultural moment. Uh, now, what I'd like you to do, just in twos or threes with people around you, if you don't know each other, maybe introduce yourselves. But just when was the last time you either saw an advertisement or in stories or in the newspapers, people using the language of David and Goliath in twos and threes around you? Go. Okay, David and Goliath. Well, I've noticed it being used a lot as, um, uh, in the newspapers, whether it's talking about Ukraine and Russia, David and Goliath, the phrase can be, can be brought up. It's, it's often used uh, when it's talking about the underdogs in a sporting contest. But I actually remember from a few years ago, I saw it being used in an advertisement campaign for LucasAid. Can we, can we go, yes, energy beats everything, apparently. And I remember walking past this, this, this advert, which was on the side of a, 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 a bus station, being like, really? <laughs> Is that the great tale of David and Goliath? Is that what we're going to take from it? The small beating, uh, the mighty, the energy beats everything, even a giant. Let's, uh, let's move on. Let's move on. Culture loves this story, but do they understand this story? Now, we're landing today in 1 Samuel 17. And as we come into 1 Samuel 17, we, we're coming to a, a moment in the history of the people of Israel where King Saul, uh, he has lost favor with the Lord, but he's still the king of the people of Israel, the people of God. And, and David has been anointed and he's gained favor with the Lord, but he is not yet king. So Saul's on the descent. David's on the ascend, and we come on the eve of war, the eve of battle. And I think this story has got six, six things to teach us, to tell us, because I think this is a story about defiance. Because early on in chapter 17, we meet Goliath, 
and Goliath is a mountain of a man. We're given quite a detailed description from verse 4 to verse 7 of, of his armour and what he's wearing. And I think we're given this particularly detailed uh, description of how big he is and how strong he is and how heavy his armour is and his weapon is because we're meant to be terrified. We're meant to read this description of Goliath and it's meant to fill us with a sense of fear at this mountain of a man. Now, I'm, I'm very, very tall, taller than most, but sadly, I'm also very, very weak. There's no guns here. Uh, so even though um, people might look at me and be like, oh, he, 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 he's a tall guy, I don't think anyone looks at me and quakes. But the reality is, when people look at Goliath, they quake. Because he is a mountain of a man. And this mountain of a man, he comes out and he stands in defiance against the armies of Israel. And defiance is the perfect word to use to describe his stance. Because actually, if we were to read all of chapter 17, we'd see defiance as a word comes up five times. And every single time, it describes Goliath's stance against Israel. He stands in defiance. Verse 10, this day I defy the armies of Israel. But Goliath, Goliath, not Goliath, Goliath isn't simply standing in defiance against Israel and this army. He's also standing in defiance against the God of Israel. Hear David's commentary on this situation in verse uh, 26. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes his disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David and Goliath is not simply a story about a giant defying a boy, defying Israel. It is a story of a giant, of someone who thinks that he is mighty, defying the Almighty himself. Secondly, this is a story about doubt. It is filled with doubt. We have a brother's doubt, a king's doubt, and an enemy's doubt. The brother's doubt, Elab, because David, he's actually so young that he's not actually meant to be in the battle. And he's only at the battle because his father has sent him off with, uh, with provisions for all uh, his brothers. And so he's arrived at the battle with all these provisions for these brothers, and so he's simply there visiting to provide food. And while he's there visiting, he hears the mighty challenge that Goliath roars to, these, to the armies of Israel, this mighty defiance. He hears it. And, uh, and, and he asks, starts to ask around about what's going on and, and why, why is this happening and what sort of reward will someone get if they fight Goliath. And as David is asking these questions, well, his older brother hears him asking these questions, and his older brother does what probably most older brothers do in this situation, when they think that their little brother has risen above their station. He moans. He moans. Verse 28. When Elab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Elab doubts David. 
He thinks he knows his brother's real intention. He thinks that his brother has abandoned his job of looking after the sheep because he wants to come and watch a battle and watch the bloodshed in the same sort of way that someone might have once upon a time gone to the Roman Colosseum to watch a fight. He thinks that David is simply there for sport. He thinks he knows David's heart. But Elab is not the only doubter. The king, King Saul, is also a doubter. Because once it has come to Saul's attention that, that David is willing to go and fight, and once David has persuaded him that he should be able to go and fight, well, immediately Saul tries to, to, to um, armor David. And he puts on his own armor, Saul's armor, onto little teenage boy David. And in doing this, he's starting to doubt that David actually has got the ability to fight Goliath on his own terms. He thinks that David needs armor to win. How little he understands. So we have the doubt of a brother, the doubt of a king, and we have the doubt of an enemy, Goliath. Because once David has taken off his oversized armor, and once he's picked up his stones and his sling, he goes off to meet Goliath. And Goliath immediately joins this, this array of doubters. Verse uh, 42. He looked David over and said, and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and, des and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the air and the beasts of the field. Goliath doesn't see a worthy foe. He doesn't see a real threat. He doesn't see a real challenge. He sees a child standing before, before him. And in seeing but a boy, but a child, Goliath willingly walks, runs, charges into his own death. David and Goliath is a story about people looking and judging with the world's eyes, with human understanding of power, rather than looking with the eyes of the divine. Elab, Saul, and, jo um, and Goliath all assume that David, that they understand David. Elab thinks he's there simply for sport. Saul thinks he'll only win if he's well armored. Goliath thinks that he is but a boy. They're judging him based on human understandings of power and strength. Thirdly, David and Goliath is a story about dependence. As I was uh, researching about how David and Goliath is used in popular culture, I discovered that in 2014, there was a book published called Defeating Your Goliaths. Defeating Your Goliaths, with a, a, a subtitle, Slaying the Giants in Your Life Starts With You. Now, this book title couldn't be further from the truth. David doesn't win because of David. His ability to slay the giant doesn't start with himself. He wins because he is dependent upon the one who is greater than he. Look down at that last sentence in verse 37. Verse 37. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. David doesn't win because of David. He wins 
because the Lord fights for him. David and Goliath is a story of a boy, of David, depending on the one who is greater than himself for his victory. Fourthly, David and Goliath is a story of dismay turning into delight. When Goliath stands up before the armies of Israel and then he offers his defiance, well, immediately they see him, this mountain of a man. They see him and they quake and they shiver and they're filled with fear. And we read in verse 11, they're filled with dismay. Who can beat him? Who can beat this mountain of a man? And for 40 days they quake. And for 40 days they're filled with fear. But then David steps up and he takes his stones and he takes his sling. And Goliath is felled. Once this, once this giant of a man, this mountain of a man has been defeated, once he has been defeated, well then the dismay of the Israelites, it turns into a shout of delight. And they see their, their leader, they see David in his victory, and they follow him. And as David charges off towards the Philistines, they charge with him, filled with delight. Their dismay is turned into delight. This is a story of the anointed one, God's anointed one, in a singular act, a singular moment, fighting for his, on his people's behalf and turning his people's dismay into delight. Fifthly, this is a story about David's greatest descendant. Every Old Testament story points us forward to Jesus. But when we hear about stories of David, and his greatest descendant was Jesus Christ, well then they point us forward to Jesus in a particularly special manner. Because Jesus Christ came to slay a giant, a defiant giant. But not a singular man who stood there, mighty and strong, but a multitude who claim there is no God. Like a multitude who have no love for God. A multitude who have no time for God. A multitude who stand before him, defying him. Jesus has come to slay. When Jesus came, he came and he faced a wall of doubt because he came in weakness. When people saw Jesus, they did not see this image of strength. They saw that image of weakness. This was the one who was not born in a palace, but born in a stable and laid in a manger. This is the one who was not, who was not a prince, but a pauper. People just couldn't comprehend. They couldn't get their minds around how the God of all the universe, the one who dwells in eternal light, could become a human being. Many then and many now can't understand the cross. Can't understand how in the cross this single act of just of weakness, of frailty, of, 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 of bleeding and nothingness almost, can actually be the single act of greatest power and strength. Many cannot understand and doubt that a God-man would allow himself to die. Many cannot understand and doubt that a God-man would allow himself to face such humiliation in such a lowly fashion. And when Jesus came, he was dependent until the end. The Son of God was, has always been in perfect union with the Father above. 
And in the incarnation, that union did not end. He willingly died, knowing that his father would willingly raise him. David knew that the living God would rescue him from Goliath. Jesus Christ knows that the living God would rescue him from the hands of death. Jesus came, and he is the one who has turned the ultimate dismay into the ultimate delight. Alone we battle sin and the world and the devil. Alone we will fall and we will fail. Alone Goliath would beat any hero which Israel would send before him. But we are not alone. Jesus Christ has come. And he is that promised anointed one. He is that hero who depends upon his father for victory. And he is the one who turns his people's dismay into delight. He is the one who brings us from that hopeless place of looking at that mountain of a man filled with fear and destroys him so that we may be filled with delight, so we'll be brought into that place of security and safety. And sixthly, <clears throat> this is a story about daring. It's often been said, dare to be a Daniel or dare to be a David. And I don't really think that 1 Samuel 17 is telling us to dare to be a David. I don't think this is really telling us to go out there and pick up our stones and go start fighting the giants. No, this isn't about daring to be a David. This is daring to believe in David's God. A God who does not use that which is strong and impressive to complete his plans and purposes, but instead uses those things which one would consider weak, and one would consider foolish. A God who does not need armies or navies to complete his plans and purposes and his goals, but requires the obedience and dependence of his one anointed son. A God who rescues, a God who saves, a God who turns his people's dismay into delight. Will you dare to believe in David's Let's meditate on his word and then I'll close in prayer. Oh, dearest God, thank you for the many things that your word has to teach us. Thank you for this old story, a story many of us, many of us might know well how it continues to draw us back to your power and your strength and how you use the weak things of this world to achieve your glorious purposes. Thank you, Father God, for sending your son. Thank you for how he turns our dismay into delight. How, this, how the cross, that moment of weakness, is a moment of triumph. Help us, Father God, put our faith and our trust in you each day. Help us, Father God, in a world which has so little time for you, to dare to believe. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus, your precious gift of love. Amen.